Kayvon Thrubido. I think I just about nailed that one. <laughs> Thrubido. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then no or. Where, where is this mystery or coming from? <laughs> Reporters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's draft season, which means every team is in with a chance. So, hey, we got Connor here, we've got Fitz. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Did you enjoy your long weekend? Yes, yeah, not too bad. Quiet enough. I've been a lot of good sport on recently, so I've been watching that. The NBA playoffs started at the weekend, actually, so that was my big thing. The, the Nets and Celtics had a, a classic game one for all time. Conversation with Rowan about this, we ended up with the City Liverpool FA Cup semi-final and I, there is an advantage to the NFL being like one-off playoff games because there's the kind of it's all on the line but also watching that Nets Celtics game and knowing there could potentially be six more of them coming in the next like three weeks it's also an exciting uh, way to go I mean there can't be too many games in the NBA but sometimes it, it's like a, an event that goes on for a while as opposed to an NFL thing which is like just a one-off thing it's like a spinning buzzer buzzer beater it's like yeah yeah they, they scored as time went, uh, uh, layup as time expired to, for the Celtics to win so you didn't watch any of the USFL then no <laughs> I, I don't know I saw the highlights or maybe it was the, the fan league I saw Daryl Owens catching a touchdown at 48 that was on my social media a lot <laughs> last week yeah I think that's all I've seen of anything related to that it's not a great sign when like the biggest story about the USFL is that a player got cut because he didn't like chicken or not exactly after the rock a start they would want I believe there were some issues with broadcasts as well and like drone cameras like crashing on the field and stuff like that so not a, the illustrious start you might hope i saw a bit of the sport but i mostly had a chilled out one the dog for some walks made for some pints yesterday and nice relaxing old uh, weekend and now i'm just kind of shuffling on towards so we've got a four-day week this week and then we've got like a full week the week after and then i've got the first week in may booked off so looking forward to a nice bit of a relax around then let's get on to some of the news before we get into the draft stuff so today we're going to do a draft preview and on Position by position. So, transaction news. Las Vegas, after picking up superstar wide receiver Devontae Adams, have extended Derek Carr three years, $121.5 million, keeping him there for the foreseeable. I believe a chunk of this is guaranteed, so it's effectively three of the next four years are essentially locked in. What do we think about this? Like, I do kind of think of Derek Carr as the modern day version of the Dalton line of, you know, he's probably about the 14th or 15th best quarterback. I kind of feel like you're constantly stuck in that middle ground with him. But I also don't really see what the options for Las Vegas were at this point, given that I believe he was the selling point for some reason of getting away from Aaron Rodgers. This is the thing that really gets me. Is the biggest impact Derek Carr may, may end up having for the Raiders is attracting Adams to come play. Carr is, he's got, he's got that Kirk Cousins thing where he's, I mean, statistically he's actually better. At least last season was better than you'd expect. He kind of goes under the radar and some of the stuff he does is not flashy. But with quarterbacks, I mean, it's often, would you trust this person in a big playoff game, fourth quarter to, to get you the win? And Derek Carr is most decidedly not that person. He's mm. never demonstrated that he's got that clutchness, which is the most important thing about quarterbacks or an ability to get into a shootout and win variety of styles or anything that would sell him as being anything above the average. I mean, the Raiders, they obviously like him and they obviously like what they've gotten, but it is one of those weird equilibriums where if you have a mediocre quarterback, it's difficult to upgrade, but it's also difficult to, you know, you don't want to, to take the risk of you know, drafting a rookie or whatever, it could be a bust. So they're kind of trapped in this bad equilibrium until he, you know, retires or gets bad enough they can get rid of him. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Adams next year, but I don't think that this is necessarily in the Raiders' best interest to stick with Carr. But as you said, I don't really know what the other option is. His contract is basically in line with what Matt Stafford got uh, a few weeks ago. Is Matt Stafford a better quarterback? Probably a little bit. But is Derek Carr that far away from Matt Stafford? I don't think so. Like, they're both guys in their 30s. They both have good, solid statistics. And I think it's like they're not a player that's going to, you know, destroy teams or, or carry a team by themselves, like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. But if you put them in the right situation, they can have seasons like Matt Stafford had or have seasons like Matt Ryan had during his MVP season. Given that situation and given, obviously, that they traded for for Devontae Adams and that relationship is very important to that. 
I think it makes sense. They have all the pieces in terms of offensive skill positions. He's shown the ability to use those. So it's not the most exciting. And obviously in the AFC, where you have so many amazing quarterbacks, even within just the AFC West itself, you know, you're a little bit concerned about like what's the ceiling of the team. But given what other teams are giving to get access to quarterbacks, I think this is a reasonable deal. And it will probably look perfectly fine a couple of years from now when guys like Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson get their big money deals. Speaking of big money deals, Cleveland have made Denzel Ward the highest paid corner in the league. Cornerback's been extended five years, 100.5 million, which I believe is just specifically to make him the highest paid APY or whatever. Yeah, look, this is a top level cornerback, a key part of their defense, played very well, has earned this contract. I think this makes sense. Denzel Ward, I don't think his performance has been commensurate with being as good as Jalen Ramsey, certainly at Jalen Ramsey's peak. Mm-hmm. He's been a better player, but he has been a very effective cornerback. Cornerbacks tend to be quite expensive, and this is basically perfectly in line with all the other cornerbacks like Marlon Humphrey, Marshall Latimer, Xavier Howard. This is the kind of money that they're getting per year, and given the inflation in the cap, it probably will not be a cap buster in a couple of years' time. So uh, I think you know, for a player that's been good for them, and has shown flashes of potentially being an all-pro type player. This makes sense, especially for a team that obviously is going to have fairly few draft resources for the upcoming years. It probably makes sense to lock down the guys that you still have under contract and you know keep them in-house. I mean, I really like it. I'm 24 years old. This is going to get him down for the peak of his career. Cornerbacks are at their best when they're young and athletic. The guy's been to two Pro Bowls in his first four seasons. I mean, he is well-regarded. Other professionals consider him to be one of the best at what he does. It's really smart to put your money where your mouth is. I mean, the Browns, I mean, obviously a lot of problems with that franchise in general over this offseason. But this is just a smart move to get one of your best players for his peak years and to lock him down, try and build a, you know, a championship winning defense around him. Houston extend wide receiver Brandon Cooks two years and 40 million. So they finally find someone on the team they wanted to keep rather than the 200 people that they passed through the roster in the last year or so. A lot of very nice things to say about the wide receiver saying that, you know, he causes it was conniptions for opposing defenses or something like that but he is a fairly solid guarantee you mid upper kind of level play probably good for you know a thousand yards a season and Houston don't really have anything there at the moment although they've now got the picks to start building stuff so this seems like a fine way to spend money given that they need to spend some money because there is a cap floor as well Texans don't exactly have a huge amount of talent that's going to be taking up cap space in the near future I'm sure that Brandon Cooks doesn't want to get traded again. You know, this is basically the same amount of money that Mike Williams got. So if you kind of compare those two players, like Brandon Cooks obviously is a different type of player, but has had more consistent production over those years. And he's shown that he can be productive even in situations that are highly suboptimal. So for a team that's obviously trying to make the life of Davis Mills easier, see what they got there, see if they've got a quarterback worth building around in the future, it makes sense to you know keep that in place and put the resor- other resources toward the offensive line, potentially. Two smaller end signings. Indianapolis signed quarterback Stefan Gilmore to add to their defense two years, 23 million. And Green Bay, having lost Marquez Valdez-Scantling to KC, have signed XKC and ex-Ravens wide receiver Sammy Watkins on a one-year, four million deal. Both solid, late-in free agency pickups here. I mean, I can speak to Gilmore more than I can suppose I mean Watkins is very middle of the road I never really he's, he's good when he's healthy but he's just rarely healthy uh, Gilmore I mean I think he, I think Gilmore's past it to be honest with you I, I, this, this is the cornerback thing when they turn 30 or even younger they're basically useless I think he's on the downward trajectory a two year contract for that kind of money is not bad when you are on a downward trajectory veteran cornerbacks never live up to their name basically so it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he was at his best he was really damn good but he hasn't been there for two or three years now yeah but like Indianapolis have got success out of some veteran corners in recent times. He'll be probably the the CP2 behind Kenny Moore, who's really come on in Indianapolis. So I think there shouldn't be too much pressure on him. If he can be a Pro Bowlish type player, that's basically getting good value at this point of free agency. As for Green Bay, like, look, is Sammy Watkins uh, a signing we would have talked about if they still had Devontae Adams and MVS? Probably not. But, you know, at the moment, they're wide receiver one is Alan Lazard so Sammy Watkins with Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers with so little competition obviously some draft competition probably come in but even with that it's likely he'll be given every chance to potentially reinvigorate his career 
I'd say him and Rogers will have some interesting conversations given Sammy Watkins' <laughs> personal beliefs. Next up, crime and punishment. What are they doing? I think it is actually felonies. Washington have had a complaint about holding revenue away from the league and season ticket holders deposits raised federal trade commission in a letter to the house committee it was claimed that they kept two books one that was falsified minus the revenue so that they were able to basically nick from the other owners very much feels like the kind of thing that would actually cause issues you don't steal from a bunch of billionaires this is going to continue on for a bit i'd imagine but it is very much the kind of thing that might cause you know ructions in ownership over dan snyder's position if he's been stealing from them for the last while we talked about the testimony made to the house committee last time but they have now officially escalated this to uh, an official complaint or evidence being passed over to the federal trade commission so that's obviously serious enough evidence that this is going to be made into a federal investigation and obviously there could very well be criminal charges or similar against Dan Snyder or other members of the Washington organization. You know, the specific, more specifics came about it, as you say, the claim was that there were basically two books, one with the falsified information where the revenue that they withheld didn't exist and never existed, and then one that was kept for the executives. And the claim is that Dan Snyder was aware of this and actually uh, personally talked about this with other executives within the uh, organization. So if these turn out to be true, he will likely be in a lot of trouble, not only in terms of potential criminal action or civil action, but also the NFL owners may finally have no option but to, you know, take action against him and actually vote him out as an owner. The NFL's own investigation, which was already dealing with the harassment claims emerging from this organization, has had all the things to do with, like, John Gruden and similar, has officially extended to include this as one of its things that it's looking into. So, said the last time, things have not got better since the last podcast in terms of the Washington uh, situation. This could be the smoking gun that brings an end to Snyder quite possibly. Don't shit where you eat. I mean, the NFL has shown a propensity to, to look the other way when owners get up to shenanigans, except when they start stealing from their fellow owners and this being raised to the federal level and house committees and trade commissions can be involved. It sounds like a lot of trouble. Keep an eye on that as it goes. So we'll move over to Controversy Corner. Former Arizona head coach Steve Wilkes and former Cleveland defensive coordinator Ray Horton joined Brian Flores in his civil lawsuit against the NFL regarding racial discrimination. Wilkes was claimed he was hired as a bridge coach and fired after one season, which he was. Like That's just that's just something that happened. Horton says that he had a sham interview as Mike Monarchy says the team had already offered him the job the NFL is you know, opening its own investigation to have a look into tanking Miami and Cleveland as well after accusations from the Flores lawsuit alleged those elements too this is probably to be expected that we'll see a few more people joining into this like it is it is a class action lawsuit that they're allowed to join in I'd imagine that there's multiple coaches who have had this experience and I'd imagine that we will see more of them join this as, as the story progresses to be honest. Wilkes's claims are probably going to be difficult to prove enough to, to win in court I would imagine because obviously his performance as a coach during that season was very bad even though it is very rare to fire a coach after one year it has happened to a white coach, Freddie Kitchens. So Urban Meyer. An Urban Meyer. Yeah, that's true. Although there's probably extenuating air circumstances there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he then says, like, you know, they got another quarterback and another coach and he's been given a lot more leeway. And that, like, it is true, but I don't know if you're talking in a legal situation how much he'll be able to do that. So he's probably more kind of adding to the pile of evidence. The Horton claim that Mike Malarkey was already hired effectively is potentially much more damaging because Mike Malarkey has basically made public claims himself that he, that was his understanding of where the team was, that he was told that he basically had the job and, you know, that it would be confirmed basically in a week. And this was while the interviews were happening, including for Ray Horton as one of the minority candidates under the Rooney rule. So if that set of evidence comes together, and it's obviously in terms of the testimony uh, made in the public forum, that could potentially be much more damaging for them. I think also the NFL opening its own investigation, basically, uh, which involves the same person who's investigating the harassment and financial impropriety claims into Washington, it's the same. If they are now opening up uh, another front in terms of looking into Miami, but also the claims around Cleveland that Hugh Jackson also made, although uh, it's Hugh Jackson, so who knows what's going on there. But obviously, if anything comes out of that, and if they can extract information from that, that's obviously going to be also a hugely damaging uh, situation for uh, Stephen Ross from Miami or the Haslam's in Cleveland. Yeah, I think the Ray Horton one here with Mike Malarkey basically 
if not cooperating kind of incidentally kind of buffering the case that's the kind of thing that could definitely help Brian Flores' case um, succeed Another bits of news quarterback Dwayne Haskins died at 26 in a traffic accident maybe he was hit by a car in the middle of the day yeah so very very tough stuff it, very nice messages coming out from all of his his teammates and stuff saying that he was incredibly positive very good to work with always trying to get better and like kind of very friendly with a number of them it's obviously very sad news incredibly young to to, to die as well just like, a tragedy yeah i mean it's like as, as he was like trying to cross a highway or something which seems yeah i mean it's just oh i mean it's but it sounds like as you said from the the words come out about him that he was a, a really loved guy and will be sorely missed Defensive end Whitley Merciless has retired after ten seasons. I always thought it was just a phenomenal name for defensive end. <laughs> oh yeah, that's... There, there's names that suggest they should be playing the position like Whitney Merciless, Brian Anger, Debrickishaw Ferguson. These sound like the positions they play. Yeah, so he's retired now after ten years, and again, like a, a relatively short career for a defensive end. I think uh, you'd normally see them kind of go for yes, 30, thirty-one. He is, um, so he's another one who's checking out a little early in terms of. Yeah, once you have the money, you don't need to get yourself hurt every week. And uh, speaking of which, let's talk about some guys who are hoping to get some money and get themselves hurt every week. Let's have a look at the top draft prospects by position. Quarterback, obviously there's a couple of teams in the market. This uh, Seattle, Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, to name but a few. We imagine there are also, whenever you get a little bit deeper down, there'll be a lot of teams looking for backups and there'll be a lot of teams looking for potential heir apparents down the line. So our top guys here are Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, Malik Willis from Liberty, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Matt Corral with uh, Mississippi and Sam Howe at North Carolina. I think Matt Corral was a bit higher up on boards last year going in, just the worry that his style might not translate as well, because he's kind of that RPO spread, college style thing very specifically. If you think about Matt Corral, like we're kind of going down the board a little bit, um, mm. I think the biggest problem for him, he kind of comes from, he's kind of got a limited utility he's very very effective in terms of being on time making short to intermediate passes and he has a very quick throwing motion and so he's very very effective at that and he does have the athleticism that he can make plays out of the pocket but unfortunately his deep ball very very poor or there's a lot of missed issues he's also a smaller quarterback which they kind of trend like maybe five years ago when you were like russell wilson was in vogue and guys like baker mayfield were getting drafted number one overall i think now we're moving towards where teams want to have a Pat Mahomes or a, a Josh Allen, someone who's, you know, the combination of the prototypical quarterback yeah. uh, plus uh, everything else. So he's definitely been affected by that. And he is more of an orgy trade in Russell Wilson in terms of protecting himself. So he's a guy who could obviously get injured quite often. He's always small, he's slender, he's definitely an issue. So definitely if you're willing to play a spread RPO type offense and build around that, then he could be effective in year one, but he's mm. not someone who you know you want to bring in if you want a more like a pro level offense yeah or if you want to be more explosive downfield if you've got guys that you want to make big fillies downfield fair enough yeah no uh so that's probably enough time for the guy who's fourth on our board so let's go the top three <laughs> kenny pickett malik willis and desmond ritter so we'll start kenny pickett experience passer good mobility good arm strength can make plays in the pocket he can go outside and kind of buy time yeah, his awareness maybe isn't as good as you'd want in the NFL, and he's <laughs> he's one of the ones that uh, has been caught in the media cycle of having very small hands. His pro comp has been like a Derek Carr kind of level of like probably the safe pick out of the lot. Like probably not got the highest ceiling in the world, but probably has a decent floor. I think it is important to highlight that this is this is not a particularly elite QB class. This isn't. Last year, when there were, say, five quarterbacks who were going to go in the first round, it's quite possible Pickett, he probably will be picked in the first round, but there is a possibility he won't. Uh, as we'll get into when we get into our, our own drafts, I end up having a QB run where four QBs gets drafted, but that's that's my own kind of weird thing. I think there's going to be a, a panic buy type thing. But Pickett is, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be talked about if he came out of the came out of college last year basically i don't think he's he's anywhere near the standard to be the the exciting number one qb anywhere he's yeah i mean he's experience a safe pair of hands is the kind of stuff you can get behind i mean i think there is some worries about his awareness but also at a certain extent his his kind of anticipation how he thinks he can there's a tendency i think for him to to try and make things happen too quickly to not kind of allow his feet to be set and, and read the field enough so that, that is obviously a big worry at the NFL because that's kind of one of the big things you want someone who 
can think in a, you know, when there are a bunch of 300 pound men running towards you, you need someone who can, who can think in, in kind of anxious situations. So there might be a lot of kind of work that needs to be done in terms of getting him through. So he's probably not a first year starter. I, I would think that any team that picks him up, and I, I mean, we are likely to see that the, the Seahawks, the, the Panthers, you know, the Steelers, these are the teams that are going to be looking for their next number one QB. But and if, so if they pick him up, they might try and stick him in. But I think it'd be better almost for him to become under the wing of, of maybe a Derek Carr or you know a, someone of that ilk, be the protege for a year or two before stepping up. Because I think he doesn't. There is going to be a translation issue between this where he might end up a very mediocre quarterback if he's coached properly. Problem is that he doesn't excite you, right? Like people now want to have Patrick Mahomes, they want to have Josh Allen, they, they want to have Justin Herbert. These guys who, in the last three or four years, have gone and been wow in so many different ways, and kind of settling for a Kenny Pickett feels like settling for like the Mac Jones tier of quarterbacks in a good situation, like the guy who you know does everything fine, but you're kind of thinking, where's the upside? Where's where? Who's gonna? Are they able to compete when we go up against these elite guys anymore? But like to be fair to Pickett, he had good production particularly last year after um, having a challenging 2020 so he's shown leadership and he broke all the records in the Pittsburgh program so he's obviously someone who they've trusted they built over time he improved over time and he's got solid throwing motion he's got solid athleticism he can get outside the pocket he can make moves he can run a bit if you need to on the edge um, so he's not a like a you know a stone pony or anything like that I think if you're talking about the major concerns about him he's Foot playment and stuff can be a little bit issue, and particularly on deep balls, there's a lot of tape out there of people highlighting him sailing the ball a lot, not really having that kind of elite accuracy downfield that you kind of want to have if you want to have that more explosive type offense. But you know, if you want a guy who's got a safe enough floor and who isn't going to like turn you like have a disastrous first year, Kenny Pickett should be fine. But you probably want to put him into a system and a situation where like the weapons and the offensive line are already solid enough because I think yeah. early in his career he had a bad offensive line, he struggled. Um so this is a guy like yeah, you say Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, these type of guys, maybe the more modern version with a bit more athleticism, but basically that same kind of line is where you would end up in a good situation. Yeah, the other two that we'll be looking at here are Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter. So like Willis is a you know fairly raw dual threat quarterback who has you know big arm fast feet kind of quite explosive plays but somehow i hate to say like the patrick holmes comparison but like people would wonder if the mechanics would transfer to the nfl that he has the ability but is it just you know just natural ability being able to overcome some technical failings that he has and desmond ritter is kind of Again, a relatively solid but not overly inspiring guy. This is very much, as, as Sean was saying, this is not exactly the most exciting collection here. Like, he's great at tangible, solid mechanics and, like, good play recognition, but he doesn't have the big super cannon for an arm. He doesn't have all the mechanics down that you might want. So, like, there's no, there's nothing would excite me here if I was looking for a quarterback in this draft. I think we said it last week on that Philadelphia trade that we can kind of see that that was maybe what they were looking at, that they didn't like this batch. They wanted to give Jalen Hurts the year to, to win his spot and then load up on picks for next year uh, in the hopes that there'll be a couple of better prospects out there. Malik Willis has jumped up draft boards because, as you say and I've said already, teams want that X-Factor quarterback. They've seen these guys, they want it. And Malik Willis, out of these guys, who has any type of production, is the only one who has those traits that get you excited. He is a dual threat weapon who has a big arm is more than willing to throw it downfield he's willing to get outside the pocket improvise make kind of russell wilson patrick mahomes type plays on the regular and is a great rushing risk like he's not like lamar jackson but he's certainly at that next tier of like your jalen hurts those type of players who can make explosive plays on their feet but the problem is is that all that talent exists but he has very little on tape to show that he can make unscheduled throws, that he can play within the system, that, you know, he, he's not just going to, you know, abandon plays. Uh, like, so if you, if you're like in a good offensive system, like you're in a Shanahan type system where those things are important, you probably don't want to get Malik Willis. But if you're willing to build an offense around a guy who has all of this talent and kind of lean into that, similar to what like Baltimore did in the first year with Lamar Jackson, then you can have a guy who can, you know, create the excitement for a franchise in year one kind of looking at guys like on the low end maybe a Jalen Hurts type of person who you know but I think he's got more explosive than his but you know you could have that Lamar Jackson Michael Vick type superstar who gets people excited and that's why he's he, he potentially could be a top 10 overall pick and um, despite the very suspect production and the very suspect play recognition 
and mechanics. Desmond Ritter, on the other hand, is basically the complete opposite. This is a guy who has been a four-year starter for the Bearcats, who have being you know fought against the tide to make the college level playoffs last year and an amazing achievement which which is very rare and he obviously has all the intangibles and leaderships to have being involved in that slow rise of that program so if you want a guy who day one is going to be a guy in your locker room that you can trust to, to build around and kind of create a good culture um, I think that's someone who's obviously shown that and all of his mechanics and play recognition are all good not great but good I think in particular and because he doesn't have that like strong arm he needs to have the mechanics down pat to ensure that he can throw into those tight windows that are going to exist at the NFL level and his mechanics especially his feet haven't quite been there overall and um, to say that he's there already and um, so that's the biggest concern because if you don't have either the mechanics or the, the like just the arm talent to hit those tight windows you're going to struggle in the NFL is the experience that we've seen with these rookies so you just definitely have to be concerned about that and so I think he's getting compared a lot to Alex Smith and we saw Alex Smith you know, struggled early in his career. But if he's put in the right situation, if he's coached right, particularly in terms of like mechanics, then he could be a solid starter for many years to come. But once again, you're not really getting that upside. Like you're maybe, as I say, getting an Alex Smith, Matt Ryan type, not, you know, the, the guys who seem to be the future of the NFL quarterback position. Just one more to keep an eye on, probably later rounds, Sam Howe from North Carolina, who's just, you know, is, like you were saying, that X Factor, very aggressive like plays a deep ball a huge amount needs a good bit of work to get up to nfl level but can have that excitement level that they might want particularly if it's a team that has a starter in place for a year or two we'll move on to running backs and i suppose fullbacks but like for fullback we'll just mention Xander horvath and we'll go right he's probably the best of them running backs this is a devalued position that i think in our mocks not to get too far ahead of ourselves i think only one of us has a running back going in the first round so it's it's very much one that a lot of teams are going to take them, but a lot of them are taking them lower down. Top names here would probably be Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker the third, Zamir White, Isaiah Spiller, and Brian Robinson Jr. Of which, like realistically, we'll probably just talk about the top two because one maybe at best is going to go in the first round. We think Bryce is from Iowa State good three down running back good size and speed he's pretty decent in the passing game as well and you know he kind of kind of swiss army knife does it all there's some questions about does he have that absolute top top gear at it and does he have the acceleration for this kind of pro level to be the speed guy i think the comp that he was getting from a few places was matt forte so he sounds like a pretty good option but again like nothing quite of the level of what we would have seen kind of two years ago in terms of excitement whereas kenneth walker would just be like a very kind of small explosive running back with a lot of kind of you know power and twitch stuff going on but yeah some questions about like pass protection and stuff like that these are none of these guys are complete prospects none of these are you know christian mccaffrey's coming out of the out of the system but Brees hall seems to be a fairly kind of well-rounded option that's basically it right like Brees hall is the only guy who has that combination of being explosive while having a, a like a tree down uh, skill set he's a big back but he's also got soft hands he's able to catch the ball out of the backfield and you could basically leave him on the field there you know the other the defense on the other side isn't going to get a major tell about what you're planning to do on any given down which is the problem with a lot of the guys coming out here there's lots of talent at this position like it's probably like 10 20 deep in terms of guys who could contribute at the nfl level but most of these guys are role players like they're past catching backs or their power backs this is the only guy who you could potentially just put him in every down let him do his job and he can make a he could be the solid he could be the bell cow between the tackles he also has the upside to make explosive plays he had i think uh multiple uh, 70 plus touchdowns at the college level and with obviously the passing game that's obviously a hugely valued trait i think his uh, pass uh, protection in terms of like being a blocker it's okay. It's acceptable. It's not a strength, but it's not a, not a huge weakness either. I mean, obviously, that's a huge deal in the NFL as well. So I think if you're looking for someone like Najee Harris, say, last year, someone you could just plug and play and not have to worry about that position for four years, he's probably your best option. On the other hand, you look at Kenneth Walker, he's kind of more of your upside running back, right? He's the guy who could potentially come in and create big plays all the time, particularly just on the ground. His pass catching is, you know, okay, but he's the guy who's got those like wow moments, like that power and that twitch that can make guys miss and basically, you know, blow you away and kind of get you really excited to see him on any given down but he doesn't have the same doesn't have the same skills in terms of like in terms of tape in terms of catching the ball though some say that he was just underused there 
and he's apparently pretty bad at pass protection. So he's a guy that you know some coaches just won't want to have on third down in those passing situations where they need someone they can trust, whether they're being kept in or out going out to catch the ball. But if you're talking just about pure runner, someone you want to build around, like someone like say like Seattle who who likes running the ball a lot, then that's maybe you might err towards Kenny Walker, just as the more overall talented, overall more explosive player. Those two guys are your potential three down backs but Brees Hall's the, the ready to go option Kenneth Walker if you're looking for someone who's you know could blow you away could be the kind of the, the, the star of your offense for years to come outside that game like Zemir White Azil Spiller like there's just a mix of different guys here as I said there's probably like five ten other guys we could talk about who are all kind of in that tier but yeah Brees Hall Kenny Walker if you're talking about the first two rounds probably I don't expect a running back to go in the first round I, I think they've been thoroughly devalued but I mean the only team that I think of the might draft a running back in the first round is the Bills. Yeah. And I think if the Bills are going to draft someone, it's probably going to be some of the Brees Hall, the versatile, who can play in that system, who isn't going to try and be the star, who's going to allow Josh Allen to be most of the running game, but is someone who you can use for a couple of plays and can also use in, in the passing game. That's kind of the thing I think the Bills be looking for. I don't think they'll be looking for an, a kind of explosive running back. I think they'll be looking for someone who fits into the system. So if there is going to be a first round running back picked, it'll probably be the Bills and it'll probably be Brees Hall. Next up, we have obviously the, this market went mad in free agency, wide receivers and tight ends coming out. This is a very deep draft for wide receivers believe that there's meant to be a very good rich not maybe first round level but like you know slightly later round a good rich batch of of kind of second tier tight ends in this as well but let's have a look at the top of the wide receiver group so we've got garrett wilson drake london jameson williams are probably your top three and then chris olive and uh Traylon burks as well up there i'm obviously very interested in this because i'm imagining the chiefs are i haven't done my mock because i know i've i've, I've learned from previous that just randomly coming up with what trades are going to happen doesn't lead to winning mock drafts so i've decided to not put trades in but i wouldn't be surprised if we see the chiefs trade up to try and get one of these guys if there starts to be a push on wide receivers so let's start garrett wilson big dynamic yards after the catch playmaker with elite acceleration and elusiveness good size and speed on him as well he'll need to kind of work on his route running a little bit he's pretty good but he doesn't have as much tape slash kind of experience of beating press coverage so he's going to need to kind of work on that particularly at the nfl level we'd be looking at a ty hilton type guy for this drake london is the one that i'm very interested in because i can't tell if he's going to go super high or low big possession receiver he's got the size and the ability to kind of dominate and get over the top of defensive backs as well good but not maybe top end speed and his route running is not perfect it'll need some work at the next level but he has the explosiveness he has the ability to put his body into positions to get balls that he's drawing comparisons to the likes of DeAndre Hopkins so he'd be one that'd be very very interested and then Jameson Williams kind of more of your speedster type and like straight line absolutely dominant speed he had an ACL injury so he might miss some time there was a lot of talk at the time of the Tyreek Hill trade that Jameson Williams should be who the Chiefs would be able to target because he would essentially provide a like-for-like kind of swap, although he wouldn't have... Hill has developed his route running an awful lot more in the last couple of years, whereas Williams would have to work on that a little bit more. And obviously with the speed and the size element comes that he'll need to work a bit against press as well. So which one of these grab your attention? So I think the important thing is is to note that, I mean, it's going to be which teams want them. So there's a lot of teams, what I found was quite interesting, a lot of teams have two picks in the first round. So the Packers, the Chiefs, the, the Eagles, I think the Saints as well. A lot of these teams are looking for wide receivers, so it is likely that there are going to be a lot of wide receivers going because one of these picks, probably the Packers or the Chiefs, for example, will will use one of their picks. The Falcons might have a high pick as well, and they they really need a wide receiver. I mean, I think Wilson is the obviously the, the guy who's been most likely to be the star, and so he probably will go the highest. Drake London, I, I I get the excitement, and I guess with the wide receiver thing, you know, it is all about potential and excitement, et cetera, et cetera. The, the guy who can be uh, explosive, who can get the, the the kind of the big plays, and do a lot. Will, London maybe doesn't have the speed for that to, to really compete at that kind of level. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into how he becomes an NFL receiver. I don't know necessarily does he have the the skills to match it up because the way the wide receivers are going. They're very specific roles that they want. They don't necessarily want a wide receiver that can do a lot of good things well. They want wide receivers who can do one specific thing really well, and maybe then they can try and train other things in there, which is why I think someone like Wilson might have all the combinations, the size, the speed, the, the acceleration, the catching, and the such like, and just needs to be trained into the actual working in an NFL system. 
Whereas maybe someone like Drake London, who doesn't have that speed, may not actually end up being... He becomes more of a risk, shall we say, because because you're relying on, on him compensating for that uh, in, in, other, in other ways. So, I mean, wide receivers, I think, are very much... It's team-dependent and it's system-dependent. It's how these guys are coached because it's a lot of raw talent and you've got to fit that into the NFL schemes, which are getting quite specific and involving in quite particular ways that maybe the college system hasn't quite caught up with yet. Sean's hit the nail on the head. It's really what you're looking for in terms of what will you know, maximize your value on offense. And of course, when you're spending a first rounder on wide receiver and there's expected to be, you know, even maybe like up to 10 wide receivers taken in the first round, it, it's all about what are you building your offense around. Like a Garrett Wilson makes perfect sense if you're like in a Shanahan type system, you know, a McVay type system where you think this guy can be maybe not like Debo in terms of his strength, but a guy who can get the ball into his hand quickly and let him do most of the work with good scheming, a bit like Cooper Cup, like, like that kind of player, that dynamic playmaker who can do the work for the quarterback and kind of carry maybe a quarterback who isn't as explosive as say like a as, as, a, as a, a Patrick Mahomes or whatever like that. But a Drake London is more like your prototypical X receiver. Like if you're looking for your DeAndre Hopkins type or your Mike Evans type who can just jump over the other guy, can just beat them by being bigger, stronger, faster, then Drake London has the potential to be that kind of guy and to obviously dominate in that role uh, within the offense. And Jamison Williams, like, I think people, as you say, were comparing him to Tyreek Hill, but he's a much more linear player on tape. So whereas, like, the thing that makes Hill special is his ability to just twitch and change on a dime at the top of his rights and basically completely bamboozle defensive backs. I don't know if he has that skill set. That could be his ceiling if he can show that at the next level. But at worst, you're getting someone like Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller, these guys who, on any given play, have to be accounted for, or they will go for a touchdown, particularly in things like man coverage. But even when you get beyond them, like Chris Olave, probably a little bit too small, to play as an X receiver but if you could get him off the line of scrimmage and avoid press he's a guy who's got the silky spood uh, routes that can and the high end elusiveness that he can end up being a playmaker who can make big plays consistently on the edge but he's a bit small so you can't trust him in the run game whereas you take a guy like Traylon Burks who looks like an AJ Brown clone who if you get his if you get into his arms he can be that AJ Brown that Debo Samuel he's more a direct comparison to those guys he's so powerful he's so strong he can break tackles he's just a nightmare to deal with for your defensive back but he's kind of he's kind of one who was initially quite high up on people's boards um, but there's been some issues in terms of how he's interviewed and some issues about how he coming over coming to um the, the, the combine and, and, and training a little bit overweight so obviously you're taking a little bit of a risk there but he's got a really high ceiling but as I say there's other guys like uh, Christian Watt, Watson or Jahan Dotson who could easily go at the later end of the first round so it's just yeah. wide receiver is just such a deep position year after year in the, in the college level it feels like these days and this year is no different and just to mention some of the tight ends Greg Dolchich Brian McBride which definitely sounds like, like an artificially generated Madden player and Jelani Woods but again my I don't think any of the tight ends, although there's meant to be a decent crop, none of them are kind of first round talents. Not that there's really very many first round tight end talents, except yes, last year, obviously. Offensive line, this is meant to be an exceptionally good draft for offensive line depth. There's a couple of very elite top end guys, and then there's just a lot of what's considered to be good prospects coming through, particularly in the interior section. So, tackles, uh, Iki Iwunu from North Carolina State, Evan Neal from Alabama, Charles Cross from Mississippi State and Trevor Penning from Iowa are all... Uh, sorry, no, Neil's a, Neil's a general lineman, but the rest of them tend to be tackles here. Like, these are what you would expect. Big, aggressive, prototypical dudes, for the most part. Like, they are... Penning is meant to be particularly kind of violent. <laughs> I always love that for O-line when they use the term violent in the, uh, in the things, and it's seen as a massive positive. But, like, yeah, these guys are very, very good, very imposing... A lot of them showed up very well in bowl games as well and like are just kind of top-end talent. This is a much more stacked offensive line draft than we've seen in a while. And honestly, any of these guys would fit in very nicely to most teams, to be honest. There's not as much at the center position, I think. But yeah, like your tackles, there's a good few top-end tackles. And then there's a lot of interior linemen, like guards that have very good grades all the way down into like the third round. I'd expect to be seeing good quality starters coming out of that. Tackle is still the premium position along the offensive line. 
I don't think that's going to change. Like there, there's some changes, but but I suppose also right tackle, left tackle, those are more similar in value. But like I think as you mentioned there, there's kind of it kind of depends what you like out of your offensive lineman, right? Like do you want a technician, someone who's going to be reliable on every snap, who just like will understand the scheme and kind of manipulate the defenders into the appropriate spots, or do you want someone who's going to impose their will on those defensive linemen and tell them who is boss. I think like some people really love that latter type of offensive lineman. They love guys who are aggressive, who make life hell for the other guys and tell them who's in charge of that, particularly if you like it, the run game, for example. So Iki Okonu versus Evan Neal, these are probably the two top offensive line prospects. It's kind of that contrast. Iki Okonu, he's this big, aggressive, prototypical tackle who has shown a ability to be aggressive, get on the get on the arms, almost too aggressive at times because he kind of gets caught uh, reaching a bit on his tape, but he wants to make contact. He doesn't want to wait uh, for a pull or stuff like that. He wants to get out there, he wants to find his defensive lineman, and he wants to throw them away as quickly as he can. But I think, thankfully, you know, some of those guys can, you know, maybe have some issues off the field, uh, think like Richard Cardino, people like that. But he's a guy who apparently is, you know, a demon on the field, but uh, like an angel in the locker room, a guy who, no, there, there can't be too many good words said about him as someone in the locker room, as someone who can is a leader in the locker room and can be someone that you can build around in terms of building your offensive line room and kind of keeping that on track overall. Needs a little bit of refinement as a technique, but this is a guy that, if you like aggressive guys who bully defensive linemen, he's who you want. Whereas Evan Neal, look, this guy has come from the Alabama system, one of the most, like, obviously one of the best schools at the college level, and which is known for producing high-quality offensive linemen. And he's played across the entirety of the offensive line. He's played at guard, he's played at tackle, he's played at center. So obviously you've got a very safe floor there. Even if he doesn't work at a tackle, he'll probably be a very, like, top-level guard. But... You know, he has the talent, he has the measurables, and he even lost some weight during the draft process to kind of get down and get faster, which obviously kind of shows his dedication to his craft. But when you look at the tape, he's very, very good. He knows what he's doing. You can rely on him, but he's not the guy who's going to dominate. He's not the one who's going to bully the other ones. He can play a little bit hot and cold, but if you want a technician, if you're like in a zone running scheme and you want a flexible um, offensive lineman, then Evan Neal will probably suit you a lot better. So it kind of just depends what you like there. And the contrast between Charles Cross and Trevor Penning are kind of the second level. That's basically the same thing. Charles Cross, he's very mature. He's had a lot of experience playing offensive lineman and has been able to maximize all of his athleticism. He's not the biggest guy. He's got average strength and his average size, but he's shown that he's able to maximize his talent to the optimum. So if you want a, if you want a guy who you can trust in the locker room to do his job and understand the scheme, he's very good at it. And he's very good against uh, neutralizing like power rushers, like undisciplined guys, but can be maybe beat up, up front by some like uh, speed rusher type ones. Whereas Trevor Penning, like even more than Ikki Okonu, if you want, uh, this guy's white, unsurprisingly. So he's called a road grader. But like, he's just this guy who it's all about kicking the ass of the other guy it's all about i want to kill you and i want to pancake you like you know pancakes is one of the few statistics that the offensive lineman get and trevor penning's kind of guy who loves pancakes also white so i think that probably makes sense anyway (laughs) and you know he could probably improve his hands and his positioning but if you want a guy who get works hard and is all about that action and all about you know imposing your will and getting out aggressively and doing his job and destroying a defensive lineman then Trevor Penning is probably you so to say it's it's really what kind of flavor do you like uh, but any of these guys should be solid starters in the NFL for years to come yeah, and as I said, it's a position that is meant to be very, very deep this year. So we'd expect to see into the second, third, fourth round still getting kind of starters or rotational starters coming in at that point. So that should be pretty good. And uh, we'll move to the defensive side of the ball. Edge position is obviously at a premium most days. Dallas, Cleveland, Seattle, San Francisco, Baltimore, all these guys are looking for it. And then to a lesser extent, I think the Chiefs are looking to get replacements in. There's a couple of there's a couple of players that are kind of aging out and will need heir apparents brought in as well. So looking at this, defensive ends Aiden Hutchinson Trayvon Walker from Michigan and Georgia uh, kind of defensive end outside linebacker combos Jermaine Johnson the second Kayvon Thrubido I think I just about nailed that one <laughs> Thrubido uh, yeah. okay then no defensive. or where, where is this mystery or because <laughs> it's, 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 we've got so much text on the screen I'm zoomed out so far that, like, <laughs> that, the, that the H looks like an R and then uh, we've also got George Caractas here uh, I'm expecting I think I've got all of these guys going in the first round in my mock. There are obviously kind of different types of guys. Pick one there, Sean, and one there, Ronan, and kind of pick who you like about it and tell me a bit about it. First thing to say is it's quite possible the top three picks in the draft will be will be edges. Hutchison, Walker, and 
Thibodeau might go one, two, three, or at least probably two of them will go in the top three. I mean, I, I guess I, I'll talk a little bit about Hutchinson because he's, he's the number one guy and, and everyone's looking at him and he looks like the closest thing to a, a really elite player that this draft is going to produce. I mean, he's got the, the physicality. He's got the elite power. He's, he's kind of got a very high floor, it's considered. He's also, there's a lot of talk about him just having a good mentality. There's work, uh, There's a quote here about him being a culture changer, that he could be the guy that turns the Jags around defensively by being the guy that kind of becomes the, the team captain and the such like. So comparisons maybe a little bit to, to Joey Bosa, the guy who's going to turn up and practice every day and bring 100% and kind of raise things in terms of that. Comparisons to Max Crosby, which excites me an awful lot because Max Crosby is one of my favorite defensive players to watch because he once he's in the zone, he really kind of fucks things up. I mean, I think... Hodgson will need to be will need to have that power unleashed a little bit. I think there's criticisms of him maybe being overly mechanical in terms of how he how he plays and and maybe he doesn't quite have the the fluidity uh, necessary. He needs to maybe learn to think about himself and that's an experience thing. And maybe this is the kind of guy who's going to look fairly solid for like three or four years at the start and maybe then we'll have a year when everything clicks and he, he becomes the kind of defensive monster that he potentially could have. So he's a guy, presuming the Jags take him number one, which I think most drafts have him at this point, you would expect him to be the guy that the Jags use as their defensive captain for a very long time to to put those kind of things on his shoulder. And again, he's white, so therefore there might be an awful lot of kind of bias and prejudice going into those kind of leader world words being attached to him. But he looks like the guy who is the highest floor of any player in this draft and it will be about shaping him into the explosive player that I think he can become in three or four years. That's the interesting thing, right? Like Aiden Hutchinson has upside. He can definitely be like uh, reach the level of like the, the Bosa's in terms of being an elite pass rusher. But based on his tape, he kind of looks like someone who's more of a really effective power rusher. Could maybe more of be of like of a three-four defensive end rather than the guys who make the bank usually, like the four-three defensive ends, the outside linebackers. But his floor is so safe, and in a in a draft in which we're lacking those kind of wow guys that just like like who combine like having physical traits that that jump off the field and also have you know consistent production at the college level. Aiden Hutchinson, you know, it's all about like, do you, are you about hitting the home run or do you want to hit those singles or doubles or like, you know, those triples kind of like, you know, do you want to make sure that you don't screw up the number one overall pick? And so Aiden Hutchinson, I think would make sense overall number one. And I think if he doesn't go to Jacksonville, he will definitely go to Detroit. That feels like he's from the Michigan area. He's got the Dan Campbell style, like, you know, ankle leading, all about the effort, all about, you know, showing up every day. So there's no way he doesn't get picked in the top two, uh, in my in my opinion. Yeah. But if you're looking for something a little bit more risky, Trayvon Walker, he's been moving up draft boards very, very aggressively over, it feels like, the last two weeks. And honestly, like, I'm generally suspicious of, like, last-minute changes. I think too often we, like, you know, thinking about all the mock drafts that we've done, Connor, you know, these guys that move up the draft board the last couple of weeks end mm. up being a smokescreen more often than not. And the guys who were talked about three months ago, um, like, if you think back like, to Joey Bosa back in the day, the guys who were talked about three or four months ago as being the top five guys end up actually being picked higher than we expect at the end because people just want to be exciting but Trayvon Walker has definitely been moving up and he's a guy who day one can be like an elite 3-4 defensive end a guy who will solidify your run game straight away and who has the like who has the physical traits to be an elite pass rusher as well but generally if you're talking about like a guy going overall number one overall I generally, it's very rare it would be a guy who's like a 3-4 defensive end instead of, as I said, the kind of more pure pass rusher. So if you're talking pure pass rushers, Jermaine Johnson or Kevin Thibodeau yeah. are probably the more likely ones. Like Jared, Jermaine Johnson, both these guys have those, you know, fluid athletic profiles that mean that they can be great pure pass rushers. But the problem is that both of them are very raw and yeah. both of them uh, have to work on their technique and like building out their pass rush move portfolio significantly if they're going to live up to their expectations. So they, I see comparisons to like Josh Allen or Aziz Lolajari. So those guys, there's more risk with them. And if you're picking at the very, very top of the draft, how much are you willing to risk to bring in a guy like that who has more upside, who have more physical traits that get you like really excited over having a guy like Aiden Hutchinson who you could trust day one and mm. will be a good starter. Do you want a guy who's a 10 sack like a, a season guy or do you want the 20 sack potential guy? And that's where this comes down to it. So Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, I think they may go because they're just safer but 
Uh, Jermaine Johnson, Kevin Thibodeau, these are guys who have that exciting upside that guy, someone is going to fall in love with and is going yeah. to draft probably in the top 10. And the thing to bear in mind is well that, like, you know, head coaches are head coaches for a reason because they're good at what they do for the most part, but they also do have egos. They are, they are the kind of people who look at these prospects and say, I'm the one who can coach this guy up. I'll be able to get the best out of them. So, you know, you see the likes of Thibodeau and you see the measurables that he has and like, I can I can completely see a, a, a coach or, 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 or a general manager looking at those and going, do you know what? Yeah, we've got the right kind of environment for this and we want to take the upside. So like, we, we, we will probably see that we will not be correct in the order that these guys are listed on our lists. But no, it's a, it's a, it's a good kind of interesting mix of different options at the edge position this year. So defensive tackle. So obviously there's a couple of teams looking for here. Uh, Vegas, Dallas, Detroit, Tampa Bay and San Francisco to name but a few. More Georgia here at the top. We've got Georgia. Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt from Georgia, probably the two most likely to be going in the first round here. So Jordan is just a huge nose tackle with, you know, I, I, I reminds me a little bit of Poe, just like the incredible measure measurables for a guy who is that big, takes loads of double teams, absolutely controls the line of scrimmage. He doesn't get the disruptive tackle for loss sack plays as much as you might want from that position, but like he'll be able to plug in day one and just get going whereas Wyatt at defensive tackle is like you know he's he's a big movable weapon he's a high motor he can does a lot of disruption shuts down plays very good you know you can see that he that his thought processes are good that he works out what's happening his play recognition and technique are good doesn't have the traditional like length and strength that you would look for in the position so like if he comes up against top end offensive linemen he can kind of disappear a little bit but this is you know a high motor weapon who has the skill to get around and, and just cause a bit of particularly if you were able to pair him on the line with someone else like you know, a nose tackle like his his his, his partner Davis, who'd be able to kind of pull some pull pull an extra man away from him. Like he could be very very dangerous in the right system. Defensive tackle, as we kind of joked about last time, is a, a relatively devalued position because they're the guys stopping the run game, and no one cares about the run game anymore. So you need to be a a special talent to get people excited and to pick you in like the top half of the first round and Jordan Davis happens to be the kind of guy who has that kind of special combination of being a big fucking dude who runs really fast and is uh, really really aggressive so you look at him and you go okay his production in terms of getting sacks or tackles for loss isn't amazing and some people will just say well he's just a two-gap guy who will just like swallow up to like uh, swallow up blocks like a Vince Wilfork but some people will see those measurables and go I can turn this guy into like a Vita Vea who can get like maybe like 10 sacks a season uh, if he's having a good season and be a disruptive force and get into the backfield and just make life hell but I think even if he doesn't do that I think two gappers are at the moment having a resurgence because the emergence of the Brandon Staley defense based on kind of uh, putting another defensive back out there and kind of relying more on these kind of 3-4 like fronts. Jordan Davis is perfect for that even if he doesn't wreak havoc he is someone who just sheer size and speed means that you will not be moving this guy he will be getting in the way and he will be you know making sure that two offensive linemen are being occupied and the other guys can do their job and of course Devontae Wyatt is that defensive lineman prospect who perhaps is the guy who could be the guy who does that job along Alongside Trayvon Walker, who, as I said, maybe more more of a three-four defensive end, um, rather than a, a pure edge rusher. Like these are guys that you can move around. Who, if they have high motor and a high ability to play recognition, then they can move around, be chess pieces, and then hopefully pick up and create tackles for loss and potentially sacks as well, and basically shut down plays before they can happen. Like actually understand the scheme and stuff. So you know that's maybe more of a complementary role now because you know if you talk about some of the other guys like Demarvin Leal, like who are kind of penetrator type defensive lineman they may be having a tough time right now getting drafted where they might have been like uh, like five ten years ago when four tree fronts were kind of coming into fashion i think right now with the way the nfl is going you need to be a guy who can occupy at least one gap and jordan davis does that job Devonte wyatt is good enough to do that job but the guys who are tweeners might struggle a bit but there are there's plenty of depth at this position as there tends to be but because of the position of value i wouldn't expect to see too many uh, go on day one those first two guys from georgia are probably the only ones who have a chance i would say 
Back then from the front front lines of the defense into the second row, we'll say. Uh, linebackers, strong safeties, kind of in your box kind of areas. A lot of teams looking here, New England, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Washington, Philadelphia, to name a few. We've got kind of three top-end prospects here, I'd say. So safety Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, linebacker Devin Lloyd from Utah, and linebacker Nicobe Dean from Georgia. Man, there's a lot of Georgia players in this draft <laughs> very highly ranked. They, well, must they were the only guys who had a defense. Yeah, <laughs> it's just... it's. <laughs> it's, it's, it's madness because you do kind of wonder then if they because they it looks on paper to have been a superstar defense so how will some of these guys perform if they don't have that level of talent who, throughout. who was the guy who was being carried, carried. By- yeah well I so it's not really carried but you know that like that you know that they're not as good as you know the the the, the sum is greater than the yeah. the, the parts and, whatever. and like that that's actually a really good question for this position group and I'll, I'll let John talk about Kyle Hamilton who's probably the the like the guy who's probably going top ten on this group and Devin Lloyd's a, a solid player but Nicobe Dean like this is a guy who was a locker room leader in Georgia obviously you know being the the kind of the quarterback on the field for the best defense in college so obviously a huge a guy with great reputation someone that people would see as a natural leader in your locker room and he's very explosive very quick and he's a definitely someone to be feared in the past game as a linebacker almost has kind of that hybrid like linebacker safety skill set but He's, he's relatively small. Like, he's a guy who, at the college level, was getting washed out of some plays because he just, you know, sometimes the other guy's just way bigger than you and you can't undo physics effectively. And I think at the NFL level, that's only become, going to become more of a concern. So if you're drafting a Kobe Dean, despite the, the pedigree and the leadership, is he a guy that you can lead out there in first down on run on like on obvious run plays? He may be not maybe he may not be a true three down linebacker. And if he's not a true three down linebacker, is he therefore worthy of a first round pick? You know, in that situation, and, that, and that's and like you know, he's getting washed out in a situation, as I said, where he had one of the most dominant defensive lines in college football history. Obviously, if you go to a lesser team, that's only going to get worse from that situation as well. So Nicobe Dean, you know, he's the kind of guy from Georgia where. Everyone loves him. Everyone says that he's a great player. Everyone says that he will, he, you know, he's 100% every single snap. But sometimes physics just mean that you're not an elite prospect. You drop to the second round because of that. So, you know, you compare him to the guys like Kyle Hamilton or Devin Lloyd who are more prototypical. That's why he may end up going less, even if he's all these intangibles that people, football people love. In terms of Hamilton, and obviously he's, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of kind of questions here. One, the question is, I mean, how do you value safeties in the, in the modern game? How high should you draft them? There's a lot of questions about how valuable they are. Hamilton is interesting because he has... It's, okay, so you think about what the safety has to do, and a lot of it is it's basically coverage across the field, right? You have to be the guy who can move quickly to, to take out whatever threat emerges, say, in the pass game or whatever. So you, it's kind of like a, a fullback in rugby. Your job is to is to be that kind of last line um, of defense outside of the corners, kind of in the middle bit. And Hamilton has that kind of, that speed, that kind of cross-field speed, that ability to get across the field, what's talked about a lot. He's he's basically considered one of the, the, the biggest athletic talents in, in the draft, and his ability to, to move very quickly. He has the this, this strength, he has the speed to dominate as well. So you're looking at someone who's going to be able to contribute to a defensive scheme with those kind of skills in terms of being able to, to move pretty quickly. That the issues, I suppose, are there. There's some questions about his his, his kind of backpedal speed, his his transition skills, things that might not might not get to work. But I think there's a lot of talk about this guy as being perhaps the next evolution of the safety. Or when you want some, when you're trying to move on to the safety the way the safety may evolve in the next two or three years, this ability to have someone who combines this kind of, this kind of speed, but also the, the, the kind of general athletic skills and, and, and the such like there, there's some comparisons, I think to Cam Chancellor, it, it may be not a, not a perfect fit, but I think it's an interesting one. I think it's, he's the kind of guy who, if you have an elite coach, uh, an elite defensive coach, maybe a Belichick, maybe a Robert Saller, whatever, he could be the guy that you shape the next evolution of, of the defensive system uh, to come into it in terms of the versatility that it can offer you in terms of that kind of raw talent and that raw athletic ability that can be kind of can be shaped in a particular way to, to go on. So I think he's got, he may not go all that high in comparison to, I mean, the big numbers are being talked about, about the edge players like Hutchinson and, and Thibodeau and Walker. He won't go that high, but he could end up being the star of this draft in the long run in terms of what he can do a team and what he can bring to a game in the right situation. That is, if he's brought in, if he's brought into the right situation, the right coaching, he could really be shaped into something quite interesting, I think. That's maybe his biggest weakness is that he's so good at so many things and so exciting that you need to have 
ideally a defensive coordinator and a coach who actually know what they want to do with him. But he could be a guy like I say, a Simmons with Arizona, and they didn't really know what to do with him in year one, and it kind of looked like he was, you know, not a bust, but not really living up to his potential. But he looked better in year two. So this is a guy that he's so good he may be asked to fill in a bunch of positions depending what's all available in the roster or what happens in terms of injuries. He's a guy who could play at the box, he could play in coverage, he could almost be a linebacker if he needed to be. So it'll just be a question of whether there's someone who drafts him who knows what to do with him up front and is willing to kind of play around with him a bit to do that. And I think he, he should be a beneficiary of the recent trend towards disguised two safety coverages because I think like two safety coverage and having a bit more flexibility rather than being kind of hemmed into the, the obvious strong safety or the obvious free safety. That's the kind of thing where Kyle Hamilton will create uncertainty for the opposing quarterbacks for the opposing offensive coordinators and that's where I think he could be the ideal playmaker just to mention Devin Lloyd probably going to be picked in the in the first round as well he's just a very flexible uh, linebacker worst case scenario he probably ends up being like a a weak side linebacker in a 4-3 or or similar but he's got high level strength high level aggressiveness but maybe needs to work a little bit on his play he's very unorthodox style so if you're a head coach like he's not a head coach anymore but like a Mike Zimmer who likes his guys to to follow the plan and and to operate the role effectively he maybe frustrates you a lot but if you're to take a talented guy and let him you know improvise a bit and you know play up to his strengths then he could be a guy who could definitely be of interest to you at the linebacker position uh, some other guys are key walker from georgia again and uh chicon brisker is an interest probably the best pure strong safety from penn state if you want someone who can uh it's kind of the the, the poor man's kyle ham uh, kyle hamilton basically no, it's an interesting mix at that position. And finally, we'll move over to the defensive backs. So Jets, Kansas City, Minnesota, Arizona, New England. And in general, for defensive backs, pretty much every team is looking for good updates here. This is where my boy Sauce Gardner is. I just love that name. There's also Cincinnati. There's also uh, Trent McDuffie from Washington. Stingley Jr. from LSU, Dax Hill from Michigan, and Ayer Elam from Florida. So Saucy is just like, you know, please looks like an incredible prospect has good size has good speed has good everything but as we mentioned i think on was it last the podcast that we were talking about how like he you know he hasn't played elite level opposition so the question is how does that transfer but he's still on a lot of boards as the number one trent duffy's out there's you know high motor competitive cornerback aggressive route techniques and like he's very good at twitchy to kind of get around and find the ball whenever it's up in the air like he's not as big as you'd want and like he's not exactly who you'd want on a proper wide receiver one maybe but he would make an excellent kind of top end cb2 to start with and you never know once he gets into the nfl pro Program, he might be able to, to to further that and then the final one i'll chat about is just Derek stingley jr so he's you know super fast good size huge explosive upside and does a lot of kind of bump press coverage kind of stuff very kind of you know machos out the other people the one problem is, is he's quite uh he's quite inconsistent he doesn't really play the run game very much and he had some injuries uh, i think he might actually currently be injured at the moment he only played 11 games uh, over the last couple of seasons so yeah but like, look, Sauce Gardner is a guy that everyone loves. And like, yes, he played at the, the lower level, obviously playing against inferior opposition. And, you know, in, in the college playoffs where he got a chance to play against Alabama, Alabama just ran the ball down Cincinnati's throat and succeeded that way. So he was never really challenged there. But even given that context, his statistics are ridiculous. He never allowed a single touchdown throughout his entire four-year college career. And last season, he only allowed 13 catches for 117 yards over the entire season. Like, yes, you're playing inferior opposition, but even given that, those are the type of statistics that make you stand up and go, okay, this guy, you know, playing with yeah. the kids, but he was kicking the shit out of those kids. A, yeah, I, 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 I did kind of have like that um, Homer enters the power plant yeah. design competition <laughs> vibe of like, yeah, and he beat their asses. Yeah, and like I think like the cornerback positions maybe moving a little bit away from the the Jalen Ramsey type look mano a mano cornerback who's tall, lean, and just mirrors one other like you know ex receiver like a Mike Evans or, or DK Metcalf or or like Calvin Johnson back in the day because obviously the schemes are changing and Cooper Cups and Debo Samuels are, are taking over, but there's still incredible value from getting a cornerback that you can trust to put on the island and just take away a third of the uh, a third of the field effectively and. 
and he had like you know he's very fluid for his size like he's not obviously going to be like a you know a Tredavious White but for a guy his size he has good fluidity he's shown a amazing capacity just mirror the like play the route better than the receiver himself and basically therefore can just take away one guy for an entire game and that still has a lot of value in the NFL so if you're talking about a guy who could go in the top three potentially even higher like there's some rumors like unlikely but potentially even higher sauce Gardner is that once in a like lifetime guy if you like a cornerback who just takes away a guy then sauce Gardner is a guy that you could trust to be able to do that and if he if he played for Alabama or Georgia he would be very much could go number one overall, but mm-hmm. also the Cincinnati thing means that he might drop to like the fifth overall instead, but that's not doing too bad, let's be honest. I think Trent McDuffie is interesting because he's obviously doesn't have the same kind of like uh, athleticism and traits, but this is a guy who just loves competing, loves getting in the faces of wide receivers and a guy who just hogs the route over the other guys. And so if you want a guy who, you know, maybe isn't the the ideal prototype at the cornerback position, but someone who you know can come in day one and make life very difficult for opposing wide receivers and can play pretty much anywhere across the backfield, then he's a guy who could definitely be someone you'd be interested in. I think like I think uh, he's getting mocked a lot to New England. That would make a lot of sense given uh, where they are. Uh, and just having a guy who's obviously hyper-competitive and obviously doesn't have the injury concerns of a Derek Stingley um, who is kind of got the kind of traits of a sauce gardener but not the production because he's been injured so much uh, and obviously that that would probably affect his draft stock somewhat but apparently he's been moving up draft boards very quickly just because what people did see on tape and what they see in terms of his measurables makes him you know very enticing to uh, mm. certain coaches and coordinators yeah I, I am quite excited about Trent McDuffie once the, the kind of the rumor I mean the initial rumors that the Pats would draft a wide receiver first but now it looks like they might go for, for a cornerback and Trent McDuffie is the name coming up and it's exactly as you said he's got that aggressive competitive toughness that makes him the perfect Pats player. He's the guy that someone like Belichick can, can mold into whatever he wants because he's going to be the guy who's at the, the training ground, you know, 7 a.m. every day, working hard all the time, doing whatever is after ask him. He's got the versatility to play multiple roles. He can play nickel. He can play outside. He's apparently quite mature. He's got high football IQ. These are the kind of the buzzwords that, you, that means that this guy is, you know, is going to be able to take in the kind of information that a high-level defensive mind like Belichick has. He's small, but he's his stats have kind of held up even despite that that he's despite the fact that he's I think he's only like 5'11 he's been able to to kind of punch above his weight in terms of his ability to to compete at the high level he's you know he's got the versatility he's apparently quite good at man-to-man coverage as well so it's an interesting again it's one of these players that can be shaped into whatever he wants and if he does end up in New England I think it's the perfect place for him to 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 start off uh, because I think Belichick will have some very interesting ideas what to do with him. Yeah, and there's a there's a fair amount of solid kind of day two corners who should make an impact like Kair Elam, and then there's a guy like Dax Hill who's almost like a hybrid safety nickel defensive back who can play pretty much everywhere, kind of like the defensive back equivalent of uh, your uh, Kyle Hamilton or Jaquan like Jaquan Brisker type of player. He's an interesting one. He could end up going in the end of the first round, uh, depending what you like of him. Maybe a little bit suspect in terms of he kind of likes the freewheel a bit. Obviously, some coaches hate that, but if you want a playmaker at safety, um, like a, I suppose the closest, maybe, obviously, he's not going to compare to Ed Reed, but the, that kind of playmaker at safety, he's probably your, your best option as a kind of free safety option. I suppose that'll wrap up our kind of prospect look. Um, what we'll probably do is wrap this one up here and put out our mock draft as a separate show for you because uh, I think. We don't want to be we want to be boring the head off you, and also too, Alice. Some people don't care about mock drafts, so there there, there he is. Because we obviously were great, and we get it very close to perfectly correct every year, <laughs> and not horribly horribly wrong. Yeah. So any plans for the weekend yourselves, lads? Friend of the pod, Marcus is having a stag, and we're going to someplace <laughs> whose name escapes me at the moment, mm. uh, which we're not allowed to say anyway because uh, it's a secret to Marcus at the moment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. keep that okay. out. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> We're going to a location to be to be TBD. Yeah, so, so that's really fun. You're going out murdering people, then, is it like? <laughs> no, yeah, no alibis, no alibis. Uh, you know, they, they got good uh, strippers down there in X, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I've got Dungeons and Dragons on Saturday, so that'll be good crack. But I've got to finish off writing a few bits of the storyline for the for the thing in advance, and I got a message one or two of them about a few things. So yeah, very exciting. And then I've only got another week, and then I've got a I've got the first week of May booked off, so I'm looking forward to that. And obviously, I've got a, we're very excited because obviously the, 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 the draft is coming up as well at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. All nighter. Three, yeah. three days of staying up all night and getting all the soaking in and all that draft yeah. action. If it, if it wasn't for the fact that we're in separate counties at the moment, lads, we could have tried to 
get together and do the live draft podcast again because that was <laughs> someday, someday. Some, so, some someday we will do that again hopefully not anytime soon though <laughs> that was a bit mad that one but yeah so that's great that'll wrap us up for this week we'll have a second pod out the mock draft on or to be honest at the point you're listening to this they're probably both up so uh, go give it a listen but for now it's bye from myself bye from Roland bye from Sean this is all for Gordon thanks for listening